Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Five-step drop. Zeffo. Lufa wants the deep ball. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin at the Blake Street Tavern. If you've ever listened to this podcast before, some of our videos, you know this is our favorite place to go. So excited to be on the patio here. It's a nice day, Tyler. Yeah, it's beautiful out. Here again. Blake Tavern, my, I have a cot in the basement. <laughs> and uh, it's a fun show today. <laughs> a little nervous about a week ago at this time. It's funny, Tyler, you, you said that you didn't have any nervousness until the morning of the game. I get a text from you. You said, okay, the nervousness <laughs> is setting in. And I had kind of the opposite reaction. It's like, no, no, they got this. They got this. Yeah, actually, it didn't last all that long. Once people started coming over to the house, I was feeling pretty good. There are just too many factors that ended up being true about the game that... I felt like we're an issue for CC. So the Buffs won by 37 points, yet they didn't play a perfect game. That, to me, was the most encouraging sign from last Friday night. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they had some turnover issues, uh, especially fumbling. Two fumbles, uh, two that called, got one got recovered, I guess, in the end zone. Another one got called back from being down. But still, those are issues you don't really want to have. Um, definitely could have been a lot worse. So... Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was almost surreal, but at the same time, kind of exactly how we said it would play out if they were going to be unable to run the ball. So uh, yeah, I mean, it was awesome. Get to si- get to silence those those guys from up north for me, you know. I mean, and it's always nice to get that game out of the way and be on the right side of it because losing that game is just really detrimental to the program. So it was it's nice to get uh, a blowout out of the way early in the year. Last year when they win in overtime, there's so much relief and excitement on the sideline and outside the locker room. And, and partly, I think, because it was a blowout and, and they kind of those emotions kind of sunk in before the game ended. But it was very much a this is what we expected to happen type of approach, especially when you heard the players talk in the post-game press conference. That's another encouraging sign. It, 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 you can tell that they genuinely believe in themselves as a team. Yeah, definitely. I mean... A lot of the vibes in the post-game locker room, especially from the coaching staff, was just, look, we we didn't play perfect. Like we could have played better, and that's that's the sign of a program that's getting better. Not just celebrating the fact that we dominated an in-state rival, but just like we, there are things that we need to work on next week. And all you could feel the players felt the same way. Right? A lot of the guys were saying they weren't satisfied. They gave up seven points. Like you know, that's you kind of laugh it off, but at the same time, it's you know, it's awesome to hear that they they don't want to give up first downs. They don't want to give up points. Every single repetition should be perfect. 
surfing, so that's great. Chido Beowuzie looked genuinely pissed off that they gave up a touchdown. You could tell that that shutout would have meant a lot to this defense. Uh, at what point in the game did, did you start to feel comfortable, Tyler? Was I, I, For me, it was a couple three and outs, and you're like, this? Yeah, that's exactly um, the second touchdown for us. So we, they went two, two in, or three and out twice in a row, and we had that second touchdown that was, happened pretty quick. And I was like, yeah, they're in a lot of trouble. They couldn't even get a first down. They weren't running the ball effectively. They looked scared passing the ball on third and downs. We were getting pressure on the quarterback. And we were moving the ball so easily, I was just like, yeah, this is kind of what I thought might happen if they weren't able to run the ball. Um, and it, nothing really changed from that point forward. CSU never really got comfortable at any point. I mean, they had a couple stops here and there, but most of the time it was just because we missed a pass or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it, it was it was quick. Um, and the people around me were feeling the same, like, wow, this could get ugly really fast. Yeah, it's funny. There was another reporter that kind of brought the point of, okay, what if Alex Kelly doesn't recover that fumble on the opening drive? And my initial thought was it would not matter. That was a team just in their body language. You, you could tell early on they, they didn't believe in themselves that they could compete against this team. After the game, I heard a Colorado State defensive player tell a Colorado offensive player that you guys are just moving too fast. <laughs> that tempo definitely caught them off guard. Sefo Lufau, the Pac-12 offensive player of the week, 384 yards of offense, really we were talking about this earlier with the Bryce Bobo going out at the one-yard line and Shea Fields, actually a call they had to reverse. And you're a couple feet away from Sefa Lufau in a three-touchdown performance. Yeah. Yet uh, his performance was very much put under a microscope on our message board. Isn't it always? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you could really complain about that effort. <laughs> but here we are talking about it yet again. You know what I mean? It's... He's never going to be perfect. I mean, no quarterback is, but anytime you put up 44 points and it could have easily been 60 if we really needed to yeah. be, you got to just feel pretty good about how it went overall. 300 yards passing, he looked great running the ball. We talked about this a lot over the summer, what they use those running, uh, design run plays. They use that quite a bit, um, got him in trouble a little bit, but, um, you know, they, they used it effectively. He was effective in that role. He actually looked like he was moving quite a bit better than he was last year overall, so I think they'll probably continue to use that if they can. Uh, yeah, I mean, he missed a throw here or there. Obviously, Jay McIntyre would have had a touchdown probably yeah, if he hit that one in the definitely. red zone. Um, that was the one that sticks out in my head more than anything else. But I'm not going to complain about the, the performance that he had any stretch of the imagination. The first time he's played in nine months um, in a real football game, and there weren't a whole lot of mistakes out there. Yeah, Jarek on our board actually broke down every play that Sefo was involved in, and it was about seven minutes of footage. and. It was Sefo Lufau football, you know, not perfect on some of those short to intermediate throws, but you sit down on a Saturday and you watch a lot of the college football there. I mean, the, the Andrew Luck that comes comes around every decade that makes every smart decision and makes every pass, that, that those just aren't out there in college football. I mean, I was watching Josh Rosen play for UCLA and he made a lot of mistakes. It's just, and I understand it's the nature of the position to get criticized, but we've seen Sefo for the better part of four years you take that performance, yeah, you don't like the fumbles, you don't like the Minnesota J. McIntyre, but the body of work you take because of some of the intangibles he also brings to the mix, I say just in, enjoy, especially when they're winning and doing pretty well as an offense, just enjoy it. You don't have to overanalyze every single throw because Seriously. I was kind of a guy that would maybe analyze him a little bit in the past, and I've maybe softened a little bit, and I think the Davis Webb saga made me have a soft spot for Sefo, to be honest with you. Yeah, I would have to agree with that, too. And it kind of leaves you with the feeling of this is what we have, so we might as well support him, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's the quarterback that's playing for the team. 
Um, none of the backups are going to be starting over him this year because of how he plays, in my opinion. So, you know, he's what you got. He's not perfect, but he's a heck of a lot better than some of the other quarterbacks we've thrown out on the field here in the past 10 years. So just enjoy it and stop worrying so much about every little play. I mean, he, you know, a couple guys had drops too. I mean, Bobo had a deep drop. Devin Ross had one that was catchable deep, had another short one that he could have turned into some yards. I mean, there's mistakes made throughout, not just Cepho, so. Yeah. You know, it's crazy that Colorado is the only team in the Pac-12 South with a win over an FBS team after that first week of the season. Of course, Arizona lost to BYU, UCLA lost to Texas A&M, USC lost to Alabama, and then Arizona State and Utah both won, but those were against FCS teams. And I got a chance to see both Arizona State and Utah in those games, and they didn't look great. So no. it's crazy that Colorado had the most impressive performance of the Pac-12 South in the, in the opening weekend. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of football left to be played, but still, you got to you got to be encouraged by that. Yeah, in terms of the Pac-12, obviously, you'd like it to look like a better league, but in terms of Colorado and their bowl chances, you have to feel pretty good about um, about where we stand right now. Obviously, it's just week one, and a lot of times things drastically change. And Washington State lost to an SCS team last year in week yeah. one as well, ended up with nine wins. So you never know exactly how it'll go, but yeah, it definitely looks like a vulnerable league right now. Uh, and hopefully Colorado can take advantage, especially in the South. I mean, we talked about, or I talked about specifically, I guess, how difficult the schedule was looking to be. It could, could lighten up a bit, maybe feel pretty good about our chances if some things bounce our way. So let's see how it works out. I don't think any of us were expecting this to happen on Monday when the Buffs get a vote in both the AP and the coaches poll, and I think yeah. we're all kind of like, okay. <laughs> if you're a Colorado fan, you don't want to complain about it, but it definitely was unexpected. Uh, Neil Welk confirmed that it was not Mike McIntyre that voted for Colorado, so we don't know which coach it was that, that included uh, Colorado number 25 on their list. But we do know that Sam McEwen from the o Omaha World Herald was the AP voter that placed Colorado at number 25. And he uh, even wrote a whole article explaining all of his picks. And, you know, the gist of, of his ex explanation for Colorado was, hey, if the goal is to reward performance and not some preconceived notion of goodness, then after one week, Colorado's a top 25 program. And that makes sense. Yeah, I actually really liked his explanation. Um, there are a lot of ways you can approach the polls. You know, um, do I think we're one of the top 25 most talented teams in the country? Probably not. But I will say they're probably among the top 25 most impressive victories in week one. I mean, a lot of people are playing FCS opponents. A lot of people didn't look that great despite winning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's understandable, especially based on his uh, explanation. I really thought that was good. I'd be curious to see which coach voted us in. Um, it's cool. You know, it's cool for the program. It doesn't mean a whole lot in week one. Uh, these things are going to change pretty drastically. I don't think the polls the really matter at all yeah. anymore, do they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, nice. It's, not it's more a perception lot. thing, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, I'll take it. Any, anytime you, somebody, I mean, it was obviously on national TV, anytime somebody watches you and says, wow, this team's getting a lot better, that's something you want to hear. So I'll take, I'll take the credit for it. Three true freshmen saw action for the Buffaloes in the season opener. Tony Jewel Meese with a fumble recovery late in the game. Of course, Bo Bichret got a couple late carries as well. And then Johnny Huntley got a little action out there as well. Actually, I played a meaningful snap. Uh, it looked like he might have missed the block on the yeah, play. That was the Devin Ross drop, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he did, did miss a block, it looked like. Um, yeah, Jewel Meese out there in the last couple series. Obviously got the benefit of a fumble recovery there. Um, and then... Uh, Bersher actually thought it looked really good um, in, in the last series. He got stuff behind the line on the last carry of the game, but 
anytime he broke through the line, he was power driving some guys. The only two other guys that I thought might have had a chance to see some action in this game were Ronnie Blackman and Trey Udofia, just because of their depth at cornerback. It's pretty clear if there's an injury, they're going to roll with Tony Jewel Meese in there. Um, those are the only two I can think of that might still potentially have their red shirt pulled uh, this season. Was there any other true freshmen you thought maybe we were going to see action? Yeah, no, it doesn't sound like it based on what we've seen so far. Um, Udofia wasn't getting a whole lot of run with the first or second team in practice the last few that I'd seen, so I'd be surprised if he was the first one to go over Ronnie Blackman. Um, so I think Ronnie is the next guy in line there probably. But yeah, it seems like there's a lot of guys in the depth chart um, that could potentially play, but right now it looks like three or four guys maybe is all we'll see this year, which is a good sign because there's definitely some talented freshmen. So if they, if they don't have to play, they feel really good about the talent overall on the roster. Yeah, yet an, uh, another encouraging sign for this program. Uh, was it 2012 when they had McCulloch and Nelson Spruce as a freshman that were the top receivers, or was that 2011? 2012, I think. 11, 12, 13. It must have been that year. Yeah, the 12, yeah. That year, Tony Joel Meese would have been their focal point in terms of an offensive weapon. Yeah. So that, again, kind of a good thing that you have a talented guy like Tony Joel Meese and he has a bit role on this football team. Diego Gonzalez, another player that had a good opener, three for three on his field goals and uh, had. All of his kickoffs, except for one, go for a touchback. And on the one, he recorded the tackle on the play. Yeah. So I had a chance to catch up with Diego to talk about his season opener and his improvement. Here's that interview. Here with Diego Gonzalez. Diego, uh, had to feel good to get out there and go three for three in the first game of the season. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's always nice to uh, go, I guess, 100% the first uh, game of the season, give you that confidence boost. So it's always nice. You knew you were better from how you kicked in spring in the camp. Is it different though when you get into a game? But was there any nervousness, kind of trying to figure out if that was going to translate to games? Uh, not really. I mean, even last year, it wasn't a great game. I never doubted myself. I was out there knowing that I could make that field goal. So it's been the same. I know I've been kicking better. I'm a little bit more consistent. So I was just comfortable with it. Is that new footwork almost kind of ingrained in your muscle memory now when you go out in games? Is it pretty pretty natural? Yeah, now I don't really think about that. I'm just thinking about uh, I mean, I do think about it, but it's not like something that's going to make me nervous. I just focus on the fundamentals, having good contact, good steps, so that's it. I'm guessing you were okay with the 44-7 game opposed to last year when you had to <laughs> kick the game winner? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy because that means uh, we, we had a, a bigger gap, I guess. So I'm, I'm happy with the, with the score. Now kickoffs, uh, when did you know that you, you had won that job? Uh, I wasn't really sure till the day before. I mean, uh, I don't like kind of like speculating or like just assuming things. So uh, I know Craig Graham is a great kickoff guy. So I know it was a close uh, close competition. So just uh, the meeting uh, the day before they said I was kicking. So that's, I guess, when I realized. You kicked all of your kickoffs except for one for a touchback. Did you feel like th that was kind of reaching your goal in, in that sense? or? Yeah, I mean, there's always room for improvement. Uh, I would love it to go 100% touchbacks, but, I mean, had to make a tackle there. So that's what I get for not hitting the touchback. Do you do that pretty much every time in practice on the kickoffs? I mean, I do try. Uh, I, uh, I feel that during game day you have a little bit extra, I guess, power pop. So that helps a lot, too. On the last one, just a little, maybe a little leg fatigue from all those those kicks in the game. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just missed the ball a little bit. It was a little bit under the ball, so uh, I knew I, I knew the guy wanted to have a return. So as soon as I saw it, just like go two, three deep, I knew he was bringing it back. So 
Were your parents in the stands uh, they, to watch the game? They were. Uh, my family was there. My brother was there too. Uh, they're staying for the next game as well, so that's Is, exciting. Does that add to the add to the pressure knowing that they're in the stands? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, no, not really. I mean, I know they always support me. I mean, they always been supporting me even back home with whichever sport I was playing. So that's nice. I know that they got my back. What what were your goals coming into the season as as a kicker? Do you have do you set like a certain percentage or do you have a number in mind in terms of field goals? Uh, uh not percentage wise. I mean, I do, but I mean, I want to go 100%. My goal is to at least be a finalist for the Lou Grossa, so that's what I'm I'm aiming for. How much more comfortable are you today in, in going out for that first game as as opposed to a year ago? I'm, I mean, I'm really comfortable now. I've been working a lot with the guys. I know the speed of the game and all that stuff. So I'm really comfortable. And uh, coaches make me feel really comfortable, too, because I know they trust me. New holder, Robert Orban, new long snapper, JT Bell. Uh, I'd imagine throughout camp you kind of build that chemistry. How important is that with, with those guys? Oh, it's huge. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, after the last year, uh, I thought we were going to struggle a lot. Uh, I was a little bit nervous. But both the guys work really hard. Uh, there are guys that they ask me like, "Hey, do you want to go kick?" So we can get the op uh, together. Uh, sure. So I'm really comfortable right now with both of them, and I think they're comfortable with me too. When did you feel like you had really gained that comfort? Was it some point during the preseason camp, or, or you know? Uh, I think it was during uh, summer. Uh, I was working out with Coach Carney back in San Diego, and then I did a camp in Wisconsin. And uh, even maybe a little bit before that, I felt really comfortable with uh, JT and, and Rob Orban. But uh, right after that, I was feeling really comfortable, and I thought uh, we can have a great season. Only so many more chances to, to run out in Folsom behind Ralphie. What, what, what are your emotions like getting ready for this home opener? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy because I just remember being back home and like, dreaming about playing D1 football, and now it's my last year, so it's kind of bittersweet. Awesome. Thanks, Diego. Appreciate it. Have a good one. I love Diego Gonzalez, Tyler. He is uh, <laughs> one of the most likable guys that's ever come through this program. I think he's going to have a good year, man. Yeah. Ball's popping off his leg. That was one of your bold predictions, right? You said he was going to make 80%. 80%. Okay. Yeah, good start. He did have a good start last year, but the difference is the way the ball just comes off his foot now yeah. looks so much different. Popping. Even when he was having success last year, you are kind of like, uh. It's <laughs> sneaking its way in there. Yeah. He, he put all three of those right down the pipe. Well, we put it out to the Buff Stampede, Stampede Elite message board for questions, and we got a ton of questions. I actually had to cut it down to just one question from each person. So if we didn't get to your question, feel free to ask it next week if you'd like, and we'll, we'll work it in. We just have only so much time in this show. Wyndon Buff, he didn't have a question, but he wanted to hear grades on each position group. Let's not spend too much time on this. Uh, Tyler, what do you what do you give Sefo Lufau in that opener? I'll give him a solid B. I mean, uh, room for improvement, but really solid start, especially coming off injury. Um, I mean, you have to feel really good about it overall. I'd say. Running backs? Uh, running backs, I would give a B plus. Uh, there's a lot of people on the board saying that we didn't look explosive. I'm not really sure what I was missing, but it looked pretty good out there to me. Philip Lindsay was running over people, finding gaps. Um, Donovan Lee looked really good. Bisher out looked good late in the game. Kyle Evans looked good late in the game. I didn't see any issues at all. I'll probably go B or B minus there. Uh, what about tight ends were kind of a uh, non-factor in this game, so maybe call that an incomplete. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, that's fine with me. Uh, a lot of lot of run blocking. I actually saw Dylan Keeney out there a lot blocking, which is a great sign, I think, that they feel like he's gotten strong enough to be out there in run situations. So I think we'll find some space to use him here in the near future. Offensive line, pretty good game. Only gave up one sack. Yeah, I mean, they look great from what I've seen. Not a whole lot of pressure either overall. Um, 
finding holes in the run game. Obviously, it was a young defensive line for CSU yeah. in terms of experience. So I think it's kind of a we'll see, kind of too quick to really give them an overall grade, I think. But a lot not especially I was watching looked really, really good, I thought. There's a group that deserves an A, I think. It's the defensive line. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Powerhouse, especially given we thought that was going to be um, one of the units that CSU had an advantage on. Really yeah. dominated an experienced offensive line for CSU. Pressured the ball. Um, Jordan Carroll, <laughs> watching that game back on film, was an absolute monster. Uh, so hopefully that continues because he has a chance to have an absolutely huge year if he plays like that. Well, yeah, you just keep hearing so much about the responsibilities of those guys as to hold their blockers. They were holding their blockers, getting off those blocks, and making really athletic plays. It was I was had to do a double take on a couple of those plays. I was like, how in the world did the defense alignment adjust that quickly to pull down the ball carrier? It was. It was a statement game by that group. Yeah, it was actually one play that I remembered on film. Josh Tupo, who didn't do a whole lot in the game, but that's kind of his role, is to let other guys make the plays. <laughs> Dalen Dawkins tried to run by him and just kind of shouldered him and absolutely decleated him. Dawkins' cleats were like above his head by the end of the play. I wanted to find another angle of it. I haven't seen yet, but he absolutely destroyed him. It was a crazy play. Uh, linebackers? Uh, gotta feel pretty good overall. I know a lot of people were concerned about Gillum, but he was out there a lot earlier and more often than I think people were giving him credit for watching him back on the film. I uh, did miss one really noticeable tackle in the backfield on one play, but outside of that, I thought he was, he was fine. I mean, obviously, he's trying to get back into it from a couple years of rust as well. Um, didn't look quite as good as he did that freshman year, but that's to be expected. I mean, he's kind of working his way back. Rick Gamboa had a fantastic game. Plugged the, plugged the run gaps a couple times and hit people really hard coming through the hole. Wasn't it? I also think it wasn't that Kenneth Oldbody's best game as a Yeah, that's, that was actually the next thing I was going to say. I was going to say Oldbody was the best player on the field. Um, had a really, really solid game. Uh, you mentioned his sack. He also had a fumble recovery. That's right. Um, so, yeah, he was really, really productive, I thought. Looked really good out there. And secondary? Monsters. <laughs> Didn't see a whole lot of them, but anytime you give up six for 20 from a starting yeah. quarterback, you have to feel pretty good about it. Had two, two picks. Um, Michaela Weatherspoon had a nice play on a deep ball that looked like they had a chance to complete as well and knock it away at the last yeah. second. They were uh, they overmatched CSU's wide receivers for sure. Definitely. And special teams did well as well. I mean, uh, they didn't have to punt a whole lot. Diego Gonzalez did his job. Yeah, there's a lot and of And Jay McIntyre took what he had available. He had a couple of decent returns, yeah. like 10-yard returns. Yeah, I think he had 19 total yards on two returns. Um, he does that every game. He's going to have a lot of return yards. And you would think that this upcoming game will have a chance to yeah, I need really him to, put some numbers up. I had that bold prediction that he's going to get as many return yards, probably return yards, uh, than Nelson Spruce did the previous two years. I need him to rack up some yards this I, week. I honestly think he's going to surpass all, all Nelson Spruce's entire punt return career. This year. <laughs> I seriously do think that that's going to happen. I think he's going to have some games where he really puts up some numbers there. Call me Coach B. Asked, any news regarding the 2017 class after one week? Um, I definitely do that commitment tracker article each week, so look for that. If we're going to talk about this for a little bit, we got to talk about Dante Sparacco and how well he's done at IMG Academy. And there's a big question of, is this a guy a tight end or a defense lineman in college? I think we already know the answer to that question. It certainly looks like he's playing D-line because he is beastly yeah. down there. Anytime you can come from Colorado and basically immediately start at defensive end in one of the best schools in Florida and nationally, you got to feel pretty good about what you got there. Yeah, Sparacco, we obviously found out that 
John Van Deest is going to play in the Under Armour Bowl as well, so that's some pretty exciting news for the 2017 class. I mean, we don't have a whole lot of those guys in, yeah. in, the, in the past five years, so anytime that happens, um, his film from game one, they lost to Regis, but he looked really explosive coming off the edge um, and, in, and in pursuit as well. So, yeah, man, you got to feel pretty good about where the 17 guys are sitting right now. It's been kind of quiet on the on the front of getting future commitments there. We're trying to figure out when people are coming in for visits and maybe normally this time of the year we find out a lot of new names that they're going after. We haven't heard that yet, so maybe that's the next step we'll see, but you gotta feel really good. I mean, 19 commits. <laughs> yeah. We're still so far ahead of where we've been in previous years. So There was a little question as to that whether the Oregon State weekend was indeed gonna be a huge recruiting weekend. Um, it sounds like it, it's starting to look like it is. They're going to bring out quite a few guys there. We'll obviously have more on that as we get a little bit closer to the week, that weekend. But that's weather-wise, the opponent, I like that plan quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess we found out this week that Ezekiel Noah has been added to that list yes. of guys who are expecting to show up for that um, October 1st game against Oregon State. So, yeah, it is definitely starting to become a, a big list. Nippus 13 has uh, a lengthy one here. I guess I'll just read on through it, Tyler. <laughs> he said, you and Tyler haven't really said great things or bad things about Montez since spring ball. Montez has at least shown the coaches he deserves a number two spot. The board has recently got into thinking the Buffs might need a JC quarterback to help competition next year. Not in agreement with those that believe this. While I would not want to see Montez have to lead the team this year, is there any reason to believe he won't be ready to manage the team in 2017? Neuer may see progress. Lytle might come in and dominate from day one, but I find it hard to believe that Montez can go from being a heralded recruit by Buffs fans and coaches to a guy that gets recruited over in the span of six months. And thanks for the love on the pod. I definitely have never jumped off the Steven Montez train. Uh, I, I think... We tempered our expectations a little bit after seeing his struggles a little bit early in the spring game, but I've always maintained that I think he's the odds-on favorite for, for 2017, and it's a good thing that a Sam Neuer comes in and looks the part, and you get a verbal commitment from a quarterback like Tyler Lytle that has 26 other offers. This, no, I do not think they need to bring in a JC quarterback or a grad transfer. You're basically telling Steven Montez, if you do that, you don't believe in him, and if, he, if I was him and they did that, frankly, I would probably leave. Yeah, um, but the between, yeah, between one of those three guys, you have to feel pretty good about your chances. Montez, to me, is clearly the number two right now. He's looked pretty good. I, there's, I don't know why there continues to be concerned about what he's doing. I guess people are still afraid that Cepho isn't any good, which is, you know, a problem amongst themselves, I guess. But Montez has looked just fine. He's definitely won the number two spot. He's got some growing pains, obviously. He's coming from a small school in Texas. He's got some adjustments to make, but he's really looked pretty good in my opinion. Um, I agree with Nippis here. Don't necessarily want him to start seven games this year, but I feel pretty good about him going into next year. And if he gets passed up, it means Sam Neuer and Tyler Ladder are really good. Yeah. So it's a good problem to have. Yeah, I do think you have to have a competition. There's no question about yeah. that. You're not going to just hand the ball to Steven Montez, but he's got those physical tools and he's, he's developing and maturing a little bit. Sandbuff asked, what's the likelihood of Jeremy Irwin returning for his senior year? This is tough to handicap because uh, it all comes down to if Jeremy Irwin has such a great season that he can go pro, he'll do that. If he doesn't, I think pressure will be on him to come back. I know that Mike McIntyre expects to see him in the program next year, but I asked Jeremy point blank about this in camp, and he said he's not thinking about it, which, you know, he's thinking about it, but it makes sense why he can't comment on 
where his stream of consciousness is going in terms of that right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess I haven't really heard him expected to be a super high draft pick, so people have been asking about this the last few weeks, and I guess I kind of missed this whole boat about him potentially leaving early. I would be surprised at this point if he leaves early. I mean, he hasn't been healthy for most of his college career. It makes it tough for NFL scouts to really trust you, not to mention that they want someone who doesn't have a checkered injury past. So I think him being healthy would go a long way towards that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, at this point, I fully expect him to be back next year. I see no reason that he wouldn't be unless he starts really moving up draft boards. JW925 asked, was Michael Atkins injured or did the coaches choose to not play him? It was the uh, ladder there. I actually saw Michael Atkins, when I went down on the field with five minutes left, he was on a bike getting warmed up. He was hopeful that he was going to get his number called, but coaches made the smart decision in that case. You want to get Bo Bishrat a little run in there. Yeah, I mean, I think they're just sending a message in that we need you to be healthy and you don't just get to go play in games if you're not going to practice, um, which is probably the right approach. I do hope that he gets a lot of run in this game upcoming or at some point in the season because him healthy, he can really be an effective change of pace for what we have uh, among the running back core right now. So we'll see. Hopefully he works hard and gets back into the rotation because he's definitely probably the most talented running back on the team. Golf Pro Buff asked, is the team fired up after Friday or is it business as usual with more of a expected it to happen mindset? Again, definitely the, the latter here. This is a football team that didn't have a mass celebration after that football game like they did the year before when they beat CSU in overtime. Some of the defensive players are going, gosh, we gave up a touchdown. How we let that happen? It was very encouraging, and I think that's what you expect to see from a veteran team. Yeah, definitely. Um, they expect to do stuff like this every single week now. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of celebrating from what we saw outside of obviously doing the fight song with the fans, which is tradition. You know, they love doing that kind of stuff. It was kind of interesting because the game was such a blowout that most of the CU fans were gone too. So by the end of the game, it was kind of an empty stadium, so there wasn't as much of a celebration atmosphere as maybe you would expect. But I think the team actually liked that aspect of it, you know, just kind of go straight back to business, do their interviews, go back to practice and get it going. So, yeah, I think they know that they have an opponent that they can take full advantage of this week, but at the same time, they are not in a place as a program where they can just take their foot off the gas. So they'll definitely do what they need to do to get this one early, I think. Go Buffs, 62-36 said uh, after hearing your preview podcast and how close you thought the game may be how surprised were you guys on the total domination of the game also do you think the rams are just that bad or are the buffs really that good i'll say the buffs really that good is 60 percent of it and the rams being pretty bad is 40 percent yeah i mean it's we've talked about this in the rivalry every single year cu csu we talk about how it's tough to win games when you're young and csu's like oh yeah excuses excuses yeah well you learn pretty quick this year that that's actually true. Football's a man's game. It's tough to win football games with a bunch of 18-year-old kids. Um, so that's more or less, I think, if you were to put one sentence on what happened in this game, that's it right there. It's a man's game. You can't win with 18-year-old kids. It's, it's really as simple as that. We have a veteran group. CSU does not, and you saw what happened. Um, so I would agree with you that it's we're really good, the best team we've had in a while, um, but it's also CSU's worst team in a while, and it'll take them a little bit to gel and figure themselves out. And then the other question was... Well, he this, said, uh, were you guys surprised about the total oh, domination yeah, of the game? No, which not what's really. funny is I only predicted a 10-point win, which would seem to, that, that I was a little surprised in it, but you know what it comes down to? As I need to grow a pair, because... Right, yeah, I mean, you don't want to throw out a 40-point... Blowout. But I mean, we did talk about if this, if or we talked about at one point if CSU has 
um, an issue running the ball and they get down early, it was going to be a blowout. And that yeah. is exactly what happened. So, I mean, we definitely saw this scenario coming if CSU wasn't effective at what they were great at. And it became quickly apparent that they were not going to be effective at that. So the blowout became a thought in our minds pretty quick, I think, throughout the game. Yeah, I let some of the past games against them creep into my thoughts there, which I should have done in hindsight. So props to everybody out there that on our predictions thread threw out a monster blowout because you guys had the stones to, to go out there and predict what you really thought was going to happen. So props to you guys out there. And it was a majority of our board reading through that thread. <laughs> yeah. Oli Buff asked, what are your thoughts on Addison Gillum after watching his performance and did he make it out of week one injury free? Yes, Addison Gillum made it through one week injury free. Um, he was fine. You could tell there was some rust there. Yeah, I mean, they took him out pretty early. Didn't didn't play a whole lot in the second half, so I'm hoping that that wasn't an injury issue. I don't think it doesn't sound like it was from what we've heard. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some rust involved, but he's better than I think everybody on the board is playing it out, which is hilarious for me to say because I'm not exactly the conductor of the Addison Gilm hype train. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I thought he played just fine. I mean, he was out there for most of the early downs. Uh, Gamboa came in to spell him occasionally and played most of the second half. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I worry people expecting him to have an All-American type of game after being out for two years. I'm not really sure, but yeah, he, he was fine. And I talked to Rick Gamboa after practice on Wednesday, and he said, "Hey, you know, it, I felt more fresh late in the game when I had Addison Gillum in there to, to help spill me at times." And this could segue to our next question: Doing eight, 1980R wanted to know about uh, how we how we felt Rick Gamboa played and. Uh, he also wanted to know about Dino Gordon's suspension. I actually, that's a good question. I need to follow up on that. We know that uh, NJ follows out for three games, but it has not been announced yet with Dino Gordon. In terms of Rick Gamboa, you definitely saw improvement out of him from last year. When last year you could tell he made smart plays, but just didn't always have the physical ability to get to there to make the play. It seemed like he was a, st a step ahead of where he was last yeah, year. Yeah, definitely. He made a couple plays right at the line of scrimmage. Last year he was hitting people hard three yards, four yards downfield. Um, and also had a huge hit on a screen pass as well, uh, in an area where we've seen him struggle before in the past in, in terms of getting out on those quick running backs, uh, wide receiver screens, stuff like that. So, yeah, he definitely looks like he's lost a little bit of weight, maybe has a step um, over last year. And, yeah, you can tell he's a smart football player. He's always in the right spot. He, like, you don't see him crazy out of position a lot of the time. It's just a matter of him filling that hole with enough speed. And, and, and in game one, he definitely did that. He, he played really well. Dorn09 asked, was Donovan Lee injured? Something did not look right when he was out there. Definitely wasn't Donovan Lee's best performance. I don't know if I necessarily think there's any injury or any issue there. I didn't really notice him struggling at all. A couple people on the board said this, and I went back and watched the game, and he looked fine to me. They had a really nice run that almost broke for a touchdown late in the third quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'll go back and watch it again, but I, I didn't see anything concerning to me watching the game over. His stat line wasn't jump off the page good. I mean, 41 yards on 10 carries. Uh, he had the, the worst yards per carry average among the group. Uh, I, I think Donovan Lee is going to come back and prove to has a, still has a chance to be their best back. I really do believe that. I, I really like what I saw and heard from him in the preseason. But uh, it, it's great that we can nitpick the game. Again, it goes back to, you know, it's... It's uh, kind yeah, of he didn't rare. have two fumbles, so I'll take that. Let's just, you know, what I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's. I just, I was surprised to see people say that he would play so poorly. High Plains Drifter sixty two thirty six had the following to say: Any word on any lingering effects from Sefo's big fourth quarter hit? 
seems like a kid that won't admit injury, so I was wondering if you had noticed or heard anything regarding his health in the postgame. Body language, word of mouth. I'm assuming he went through the concussion protocol and passed given to sensitivity to that injury, hoping we dodged a bullet. They actually did the concussion stuff right after the hit and obviously was not a concern because he was back out there and we all were wondering why that was the case. But yeah. uh, we're going to have to send a spy to go watch him around campus based on this question, I think. No, he's, uh, he's yeah, fine. Um, I think that is an area that this coaching staff can get criticized after the game. Now, I'm not ready to take it uh, the Mark Kisler route and be yeah. an idiot about it and say that the coach that built this program that won a game 44-7 deserves an F. That was a ridiculous article. Um, but he should not have been out there. He was out there two drives too long, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to get uh, Montez some some throws as well, you know, rather than just handing the ball off. I, th I think that CSU scored, and then we t turned it over pretty quick, and they got the ball back. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe we should try to put this thing away. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, you know, they could have had two more touchdowns, and it still would have been a complete blowout. So <laughs> I think it would have been okay if we got Montez in there a bit earlier. It would have sucked if he did get a concussion. I mean, we came out of it okay. Well, it, it's weird. You learn. It's weird that all the 100% of the criticism seems to be on McIntyre in this situation when Cephalufau is a third-year captain, a senior quarterback. He knows the score. He knows he needs to slide and get down and not get hit. He knows how valuable he is to this team. It was a bad decision on his part. I would think the coaches trusted him to be smarter than that in that situation. Yeah, I mean, he had picked up the first down by four or five yards at that point as yeah. well. So. He claimed he didn't know that, but yeah, he's, he's got to step faster. Got to step faster this year, which actually it looked, it looked yeah. like it was true. But you got to know that you got to get down in that situation. He took two hits. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. Like yeah. you got you got to dive. Darth Snow asked, offensive line, good average or too early to tell? You said this, I think, even like ten minutes ago, Tyler. Too early to tell. I would agree with that, but certainly encouraging signs. Yeah, I would have to agree. That's the perfect way to put it. Uh, it's too early to tell. Their D-line is really suspect overall. CSU's D-line, I should say. Yeah. Um, but they did look pretty comfortable out there, I must say. Um, it's a bigger group than we've seen in a while. Uh, Irwin looked really comfortable. There wasn't a whole lot of penalty issues, which we've seen in the past. I mean, I can't tell you how many year, drives in years past we screwed up because of false starts and stuff. Yeah. Didn't have a whole lot of that going on in this game. So that was Just a one, start. I think, Tim Lanat, who you kind of expect that from a guy yeah, starting his first I mean, game. I think Irwin had a holding penalty, too. There was not a whole lot of penalties overall throughout the game from the offense. All right. Black and gold Josh asked, thoughts being in the press box Friday night while the blowout was going on? I, my main thoughts were, it's really, really refreshing to see what we thought we were going to see actually show up in the season opener. Obviously, the previous two years, there's that some of that Kool-Aid that gets flowing in preseason camp, and you get into that first game, and they lay an egg, and you go, well, what the heck was going on? You know, and, and you feel bad because you feel like you misled people with your reporting in camp. And the bottom line is, especially with, with a lot of these closed practices, you're kind of at the mercy of what the coaches and players tell you. And... Um, I, I said this before, I don't know if it was on a podcast or where, but there was a reason to drink the Kool-Aid this preseason, yeah. and it showed itself in, in that season opener. So that that's a lot of what I was thinking was, finally, this team is actually backing up kind of what they, they had built up for you know their expectations going into the season. Moose4551 wanted to ask you, Tyler, uh, what your best comeback to a CSU fan was last week? Um, I can't tell you. <laughs> well, I can, I, can put, I can throw some bleeps in there. No, if you wanna. it's okay. Um, 
honestly, there wasn't. So here's the thing: we stayed for the end of the game. So and so, if you know, for those of you that came to my house, you know where it is. But you have to walk straight through the CSU side to get back to my house, and we had to go straight through the CSU side to get to the game as well. There was a lot more talking and or people in attendance in the parking lot before the game than after. Let's just say that. <laughs> Let's just say there was a, it was a little bit of a ghost town by the time we got out of there. So uh, way to not take your licks, CSU. Hope you enjoyed that try. Enjoyed that drive back home. Your hope is probably that that results in a little less tripping before the game next year you would think they're not gonna have a what are they gonna say exactly I'm just gonna grin at them <laughs> like that's the best part about this like they're gonna be oh you guys sucked like we beat you by 37 points last year so tone it down Bob <laughs> I guess we should preview Idaho State right I mean that's the team that Colorado is about to play on Saturday um, maybe not spend a whole lot of time on this but uh, by now you've probably heard the fact that uh, Idaho State's head coach Mike Kramer uh, is the head coach that well was the head coach when Montana State came into to Folsom Field in 2006 and shocked the Buffaloes and um, I, I, I think it's smart for Mike McIntyre to show them clips of that game and try to use that as a source of motivation. Um, you can't convince me that within that Champion Center they really are too worried about this game. Though. No, they're not. Uh, you, I mean, basically, we don't know a whole lot about Idaho State, honestly, other than they got smoked by UNLV in Boise last year, which makes you feel pretty good about your odds. But, um, you know, based on what McIntyre was saying, they like a couple of their weapons offensively. I um, think they, you know, some of those guys will have to pay attention to. Um, I think read between the lines defensively, he kind of feels like we're going to be able to do whatever we want there. Um, Obviously, we're going to have a distinct athleticism advantage, uh, weight advantage, just overall football mentality advantage. So um, just show up and take the game seriously for the first quarter, and then we can all enjoy some highlights there thereafter. You mentioned those lopsided losses they had against FBS teams last year. Uh, they scored a total of eight points in two games and gave up a total of 132. Uh, finished the season 2-9. and nine. Quarterback play was pretty spotty for them last season, was a big part of their issue. It looks like they found their guy, though, Tanner Guler. He threw for 338 yards and three touchdowns in their season opening win over Simon Frazier. Now, who the hell, what the hell is Simon Frazier? It's a Division II program in Canada, so this Guler cat is not throwing for 300 is yards that against an CU. NCAA Division II program, or are we talking like this isn't even Division I Canadian football? It's, uh, I believe they're part of the same system. Don't quote me on this. Okay. Because if that's true, that's like... I just read their Division Two, and frankly, I wasn't going to do a whole I, lot more research neither. on I that. Was just, <laughs> I was just curious if you knew. Because if it's Division Two Canadian football, like, are there dudes who even play football on their team? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to speak out of turn, but, you know, they limited Simon Fraser to negative 22 rushing yards. That's got to wow. have you shaking in your boots, Tyler. Yeah, dude. Philip Lindsay, be ready for some collisions this week. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing you, you would worry about in this game is just if they come out and you make all kinds of mistakes and Idaho State gets some confidence. That's the only thing I can think of that even keeps this game remotely close. I mean, that's I, w- I would can only say that that would keep it close until, like, the second quarter. Just, I mean, I just can't. I know that this is probably unwise, but I just can't imagine this game being even close by halftime. It's just, it comes in the, the media fan jaded aspect of being following, covering, cheering for Colorado in the past. Is Your mind just kind of goes into those dark places every once in a while, you know? Uh, if my mind isn't going into those dark places, nobody else should be. I'm from Cleveland. I fully know what yeah. losing is all about. <laughs>
we're going to talk about this more on our preview uh, video, but let's maybe spend a minute on it here, Tyler. What, what do you think would constitute a successful performance by the Buffs on Saturday afternoon? I guess I would say first is health, um, and then also basically just allowing the starters to get in the game, do their job, and I think really their mentality for this game should be we want the backups to play a lot of snaps. It's our job to make sure the backups play snaps. It's actually Tad Boyle talks about this all, all the time in non-conference portion of the schedule that they're, they want to play some of these keys and get the guys who don't know when they play minutes a lot of minutes. I think they should do the same thing with the football program. It should be their goal to make sure that they, they get the backups as many snaps as possible in this game. It feels so good to see those guys get run. They put in the same amount of hours in the film room, or maybe not the film room, but in terms of the meeting rooms and practice. Um, they sweat just as hard as those other guys do in practice through those two days in August. To give them just that, you know, kind of like the, you're talking about in basketball, those walk-ons, it, it's it's so good for like just the locker room's health, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's those, those, those guys really keep up the energy of your program. They do a lot of un, unsung things that the fans don't see. And, you know, I hope I hope that the team respects all those walk-ons that do all that work for them because they deserve to get out there and play. All right, Tyler, you gave us our your uh, preseason Pac-12 Power Rankings. Let's. Uh, the, I, I would imagine there's a little bit of a shake-up this week. It was a very yeah. interesting week in the Pac-12. Yeah, the there, there definitely is. Um, there'll probably be some controversy. You want me to go 12 to one? Let's again? do reverse order. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 12 is Washington State. Which yeah. you could probably argue would be another team that you'll hear shortly here, but and they were what was, on your preseason? They were six. Uh, that sounds right. Six, or, I think six. Yeah. Okay. Um, we can go back and look at it and compare later. The um, anytime you lose to an FBS school, FCS school, or whatever we call them these days, football championship yeah. subdivision team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, in, in week one, you're going to end up 12 on the list, most likely. They've done it two years in a row, which is very Mike Leachy. So, yeah, they're number 12. Uh, 11, USC. No excuse wow. to Wow. They lost by 50. They're USC. It's the worst loss in almost 60 years. You're going in with the same approach as that Omaha World Herald guy. I yeah, like it. dude. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't lose by 50 and not end up 11. I that's would, really, that's, it was bad, dude. First, it, first I, loss I in agree, 60 years. They have way too much talent to lose a game like that. Obviously, Alabama is good. I respect them a little bit for scheduling that game. No, so I, I would. Yeah. I agree with that too, but can't lose by 50. <laughs> okay, all right. That's, that's a lot of points. Um, Oregon State, number 10. Uh, actually, decent show up, I thought, for that Minnesota game. But if you watch the game, both of those teams are really bad. Um, neither, that was one of the ugliest football games I've watched in a while, so I, I was trying to find an excuse to turn it off. California, number 9. Um, I still just don't want their defense... Highly questionable to me, so that's where they are for me. My Arizona at number eight right now. Uh, found a way to lose that game to BYU after making it all the way back. Uh, their offense looks really questionable. BYU, I think, is going to be a solid team, but a game that Arizona definitely could have won. Uh, Arizona State did not look great in their game for the better part of three quarters. Uh, finally turned it up and closed the game strong, but uh, definitely not a super inspiring performance. Same thing you could say about Utah. And number least, six. Yeah, they, they're they're number six for me. Um, they won 24-0. Southern Utah, though, only scoring 24 points, and a couple of those were late. Um, 
obviously the shutout is good. That's what you expect from Utah. But I just don't really – how they play football, I just don't think it's conducive to big-time success in the Pac-12. Um, defensive mind that they don't have a whole lot of offense. I think they're going to have to be in some games where they're going to have to score, and I don't see them being successful there long-term. Um, Colorado at five. Uh, simply because I thought they had the most dominating performance amongst a team that, you know, they had three years of straight bowls, FBS team, Colorado State, obviously. Um, only team in the Pac-12 South to beat an FBS opponent, which is kind of a ridiculous stat. Uh, so I have them at five right now. I actually have UCLA ahead of them right now. Uh, it's a tough game to go into Texas A&M. I actually thought that outside of UCLA having a couple obvious drops that, that, they, that they would have won that game. Does Josh Rosen coast on his talent too much? I don't know. It's hard to really say. I mean, there's a lot of drops. I mean, plays that yeah. UCLA should have had for touchdowns. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see how it plays out. It does seem like UCLA always disappoints somehow in one way or the other. But losing to Texas A&M in overtime is not a, you know, I'm not going to really crush him for that, I don't think, the first game of the year, even though they probably should have won the game. Uh, Oregon, same thing. Did not look great to me early on in their game. Uh, found a way to turn it on in the second half and did what we kind of thought that they would do there. I actually have Washington number two. I think most people probably have been number one. Rutgers is terrible. They did look really good. But um, Washington and Stanford, I kind of had tied. And I, Stanford played a better team in Kansas State, in my opinion. So I, okay. gave, I gave them the bump there. Uh, didn't look quite as dominating, obviously, but did control the game. And their defense was a lot better than I was expecting. They looked really comfortable defensively. So that's how I have it right now. Stanford is still number one for me. A lot of negative commentary in there. The SEC yeah. goes uh, 500 the opening weekend. They probably should have finished under 500. They eked out. Yeah, uh, Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. Buckle up. This is going to be – the parity has shown itself already. Yeah, this Florida, is going to be a crazy Florida season. Florida beat UMass 24-7. That's not exactly a dominating performance. Yeah. Like There is some ugly stuff for sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's the Pac-12 didn't look great either. I mean, definitely the weakest it's been in a little while. So um, hopefully Colorado can take advantage of that because it's definitely not as deep or talented of a league. It's combination here, but what makes you feel more encouraged about CU's both chances this year? What they did on the field against Colorado State or what you saw from the other teams in the conference, particularly the Pac-12 uh, South, South programs? I would say that it's more us, but not by a lot. I mean, the Pac-12 South did look really questionable. Uh, really vulnerable for us to get some opportunities to get W's there. Um, Arizona did not look like a team we couldn't beat on the road. Arizona State obviously at home. You have to. I mean, we'll see. It's just week one, like we've said before. But um, yeah, there's some opportunities that maybe I didn't think were there at, through week one of the season. Got a few more odds and ends here before we sign off. We'd be remiss if we didn't bring this up on the show. The men's basketball recruiting weekend that's on tap is one of the best, if not the best, of the Tad Boyle era. Three four-star recruits coming in there. Deshaun Schwartz, a, a local, or I guess you call him in-state product. He's from the Springs area. Evan Batty, who we, you, you all know my love for that guy, 6'7", <laughs> 280. I mean, he needs to drop a few of those LBs before he gets to college, but he's a pretty skilled offensive guy. And then Tyler Bay, four-star guy that, I don't know, might be the best perimeter defender in the class of 2017. Yeah, he, he he's a guy that if he gets into this program, everybody is going to love. He reminds Except for me the fact of, he can't score. Well, that's fine. <laughs> and that's not, He really really reminds me of Andre Robertson. Um, so he's uh, – I hope we get him because he has a chance to be really special. I just really love how he plays. Yeah, he's not a great scorer, but he's, he can finish above the rim. 
really well with him. I'm really excited to hopefully get a chance with him for sure. Uh, Schwartz has kind of gone back and forth between being under and overrated, I think, throughout the process. But in the end, he's a really good Colorado player. Um, I think could do a lot of a lot of nice things for our program. It fits into what Tad loves to do. Um, and Batty, of course, will just be, as you have said, a ton of fun to cover. So uh, I hope it happens because he's awesome. I think of the three, though, he, we have the most work to do with Batty right now. Yeah, Batty, I don't think I don't even think he knows what he wants to do. Yeah, he's got three three officials set now: Miami, Purdue, and us. We're coming up first, so could be good. And you never know, like. Ethan Chargois is coming in for an official. Yeah, you only got three scholarships. Yeah, that's October 14. I, th I think between those four, they're hoping they get three of them and wh whoever the first three are. I think I'd be surprised if Schwartz doesn't make it official after this. Yeah. Um, Bay has some more officials to take for throughout the next couple months, but from what we're hearing, we have a pretty good chance there too, so we'll see. Who would you compare Deshaun Schwartz to? He's pretty polished, not the most explosive player, yeah, I don't know. He, there's nobody that really comes jumping off the page. He's kind of like, I don't know. He reminds me of Jalen Rose, but not in college. If that makes sense, like he played a much smoother game in the NBA towards the end of his career. Um, kind of as a slasher, he wasn't finishing over people a whole lot. Lefty um, had a decent stroke, but really finished well in the in the paint, um, but not above the rim. Reminds me a little bit of that, but I would I would have to watch it more. I can sure I could come up with something. Good. It's been pretty encouraging. He's yeah. got some of these camps with really talented kids, and he's held his own. And that's yeah. been kind of the basis for his high ranking. I think is the fact that he's shown that he can play with those those top guys. Yeah, I think he's a guy that you're probably he's probably not going to be your best player, but he's a like a really 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 good role player that you know is going to show up for you and do his job every night. Um, and maybe be like your second or third leading scorer, but isn't going to have those flashy type plays. Well, I'll get on the phone and, and get up updates on those guys after the weekend, so we'll see how their their visit goes. Juwan Winfrey went in for surgery on his knee. Definitely uh, wish that young man a speedy recovery. Fortunately, he's got that red shirt, so he's got two years of eligibility left. And the way Bryce one-handed Bobo comes out in, in that opener, you, you're feeling okay as long as they don't get an injury there, receiver. Yeah, it wasn't even so much the catches for me that were so impressed by Bobo, but he was super physical run blocking. Yeah. Um, uh, all the guys were. Ross, even Jay McIntyre had a couple great blocks watching back on the film. Um, that's a great sign. Those are guys who are all in and want to win, not just worried about their own numbers. They want to get everybody numbers. That's a sign. If you, if you have three dudes who are want to punish you run blocking as a wide receiver group, that's a really good sign. That's That means Cheverini is putting the right mindset into these guys for sure. I still don't know how Bryce Bobo came down with that ball. Yeah. It's almost like he just kind of stabbed at it and it just stuck to his hand almost. <laughs> I'll take it, though. It's pretty nice. Nelson, Nelson Spruce makes the uh, Los Angeles Rams roster. Kenneth Crawley makes the New Orleans Saints roster. And Stefan Nembot is on the IR. All three of those guys are receiving NFL paychecks this fall. That was definitely best-case scenario based off the class that just left CU in yeah, terms of sticking. Uh, I can imagine there aren't too many teams who had zero people drafted and then end up with three on <laughs> first first uh first rosters of the year for rookies i mean the nelson one every is not even just colorado fans like every single person who covered the pac-12 was like it is an absolute joke that this dude yeah. did not get drafted you have players in the pac-12 saying it was a joke that he didn't get drafted you have coaches you have media members like there was i've never been more confident that a dude was he got hurt 
played one game and still made the team. I know. Like, could you imagine yeah. how easily he would have made it if he was able to be playing all four weeks? Yeah, you could see there on Hard Knocks if you were watching it, they're like trying to build up Paul McCarthy and Austin Hill, but in the in the corner you just see the coaches like, oh God, get Nelson back on the field, please. <laughs> Is he back now? Uh, he, injury? He, at the end of the last episode, he was walking around no brace on, so I think from the, from the season perspective, he'll be ready to go. He did not play in the last preseason game, but um, so that, just kind of updating there too. Austin Hill didn't make it. Paul McRoberts did get put on the practice squad, so I, 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 he's a, way ahead of both of those guys. I think he's going to be on the roster for sure the entire year, no problem. And Crawley, I mean, they, it was partly a, a fact that, that they had some injury issues there in their secondary, but. I mean, was it three practices in a row he picked off Drew Brees or something like that? Yeah, I think I'd read. I think he's going to start off the year on second team. So, I mean, he's really, he's really comfortable right now, I think, on the roster. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. And then Nembot, he was like, oh, he didn't actually make the roster. He's like, well, they don't put guys on IR if they don't want to keep them around. They just cut you. So they, they definitely, whether it's practice squad potential or roster potential, they like him enough to keep him around. If he makes the practice squad, man, like that's a pretty good paycheck for somebody who went on drafting. So yeah. he's doing well. Obviously, Jared Bell didn't make the cut there yeah. with the 49ers, and then Christian Powell uh, didn't make the cut with the Steelers. Powell was actually apparently at, at one of their late practices wearing all kinds of Pittsburgh gear, so he enjoyed that experience. You mentioned <laughs> this a little bit earlier. John Van Deest accepted an invite to play in the Under Armour All-American game. There are so many of these All-Star games now that – I think it gets a little diluted, but it's still like the U.S. Army All-American Bowl in the Under Armour game, which is played on ESPN. Those are super prestigious games to get right. into. That is like, those guys are all blue chippers on the on, on, a lot on of those four teams. stars. So I think yeah. Van Deest, you know, right now he's a three-star. Well, he's a four-star on ESPN. So on who, ESPN, who, who okay. runs that bowl, however you want to call it, All-Star game, whatever it may yeah. be. So. Yeah, for them, he's a four-star. We'll see. Based on the film he showed in that Regis game, he's, he looks pretty good. I think he's going to get bumped up, uh, maybe not by star rankings, but overall ranking on some sites, definitely. Yeah. So that's a – and he'll have – I don't know how many uncommitted guys there will be at that point, but you see a lot of these guys buddy up to other recruits because they basically practice for a week before they play in that all-star game. So it'll be good to have that Colorado presence out there. And uh, I think that's – Again, we, we talk about the, the steps that this program's taking, having guys play in some of these All-American Bowls, having some of those ridiculous hat ceremonies with Colorado in the mix. I mean, these are things you want to be the part of, as, as ridiculous as, as it may seem at times. Yeah, you're going to have to work on getting Dante Sparacco back into the D-end rankings on scout. None of this tight end stuff. That's not happening. Get the <laughs> yeah. man on defense. Let him go to work. Well, if they're going to do one of those hat ceremonies, maybe they should get one of those Make See You Great Again hats for that. That'd be kind of good. <laughs> nice. When I saw Devin Ross show up to the post-game press conference with that hat, I immediately was like, okay, this is going to make its way on our board, and all of a sudden it's going to become a political thing. And I was a little worried. I'm, yeah. prou- I'm proud of all of you for, like, not going that way. Because... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I am, too, because I didn't want to have that conversation because it would have made me angry. But the hat's hilarious. If you forget where that phrase came from, it really applies to CU, and it's kind of a cool thing, and it's cool to see how the players have embraced it. Danny Galloway, walk-on receiver, and his dad came up with those hats. One of my friends said that there was a little kid selling them in the parking lot to, to pay for his education and then was in the club level two hours later. <laughs> He's just scheming people. <laughs> that was our show here. We're going to be back every week now that we're in season mode here, so thanks for tuning in. Thanks for all the questions. Again, we had to cut down some of the questions. Uh, a lot of people asked more than one question, and just for the sake of time, we didn't get to all of them. So next week, make sure you, you get in some good questions, and we'll, we'll, we'll answer them then. 
Thanks for tuning in. There ain't no place I'd rather be. I'm talking about right here, right now. That's all I need. Yeah, but this reminds me of a good time back in the day. Rolling through my neighborhood, must have been a Sunday. Daddy with the banshees, pouring these rose singing. Scarlet Pagonia, Cinderella's Road. The boxes in the back will make the sound so sweet. The drop Cadillac will make it dance to the beat. I love the way it feels when the sun shines.